Every time I tell that story about that suicide person, I, I break up inside. The burden on any individual is not how can I change the world? The burden is just how can I be a little better today than I was yesterday? Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. In this episode, I talk with Byron Reese. Byron is a serial entrepreneur, having sold three companies and has two companies going to IPO and has earned five patents. He is also an award-winning author of five books with uh, 400,000 in book sales so far, being translated into 13 languages, and is also a prominent keynote speaker, having spoken to hundreds of audiences across six continents. His latest book is We Are Agora, examining whether humans are part of a superorganism, and I think it's out today as this uh, podcast is launched. In this episode, we talk about the themes of We Are Agora and essentially whether humans collectively are a superorganism, and there are many themes relating to that. In the conversation, uh, Byron refers to the uh, unpublished uh, introduction to my book, Living Networks, uh, which came out in uh, 2002 on a very similar theme. So in the show notes, there'll be links to my preface, or you can just search for it. It's autopoiesis and how a hyperconnectivity is literally bringing the networks to life. So we have a a very rich conversation. I uh, really, really enjoyed it and was was deeply touched by it, as you will uh, find if you listen to the end of it. So keep listening. This is a wonderful conversation. Bird, it's fantastic to be talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So you've got a new book, Agora. What's the heart of the idea? I guess it started uh, at Boy Scout camp. For me, uh, I was a nerd, but I went. I was a Boy Scout. And when you go to Boy Scouts, you sign up for merit badges. And the merit badges are all about woodcraft. And one summer, I went to Boy Scout camp, and there was a nerdy merit badge. It was uh, bookkeeping. And I said, that's what I want to do at summer camp is learn accounting. So I signed up for it, and I showed up. And this, this old grizzled man came out and said there was no such thing as a bookkeeping merit badge. It was a typo, and I had signed up for beekeeping. Oh, my God. And that's a story about, a true story, about how I became a beekeeper. And what I learned about bees is something you know, that they're a superorganism. That just like a bunch of cells come together and make a bee, and that bee has different attributes in those cells, 
Uh, and so the bee is kind of a different organism, and yet it isn't, is it? It's just, it's not the sum of those cells. It's something emergent beyond them. But then what I learned is that the bees themselves come together and make another organism a beehive. Now, it would be tempting to think of that metaphorically, like, as oh, that's like an organism. But what I came to learn is, no, that's an animal. A beehive is an animal. It's actually a warm-blooded animal. It regulates its body temperature to 97 degrees. Uh, bees are cold-blooded. It has a long lifespan, maybe 50 or 100 years, whereas a bee doesn't. It's an actual animal. And, and there's even a tradition that when a beekeeper dies, you go tell the, the hive, because the hive is, at least at some level, under needs to understand that. And so I ask a simple question, um, which is, if a bunch of cells come together to form a bee and a bunch of bees come together to form a hive, a superorganism, did that, was that true for humans? A bunch of cells obviously come together to make a human, but do a bunch of humans together become another creature? Not a metaphor, not touchy-feely, but in a purely biological scientific sense, does it become an, an animal? And, th- and therefore, it has emergent abilities, and, and it thinks on its own, and it has its own goals, and it's conscious, and all of that. I r- write all my books not knowing the answer to the question. Uh, that's why I write them. They would bore me if I didn't. Uh, so I asked a question, and I wrote a book. And my answer changed as I wrote it, and I concluded that uh, there is an animal. I, I believe it. Uh, deep, it's not a religion, it's a scientific fact. And I think, and I named it, I gave it a name and I call it Agora. Agora, the Agora was the marketplace in ancient Greece where all the people came together and that was the heart and energy and soul. And I, I thought it was a, a fitting name for the creature. And that is what I wrote an entire book about. What statements can I make that are falsifiable that would potentially prove that? And so I came up with a series of those um, that I worked through in the book as I tried to figure out if there was a such a superorganism. So, so you know, my book, Living Networks, my, my, my thesis was we are becoming a superorganism. So we have latent, we, we are, it is latent within humanity for us to become a single superorganism, but it is in process of becoming. And one of the key factors that enable that, of course, was the internet. And what will enable that a little bit more down the track will be brain-computer interfaces. And a lot of it also is in our intent. So we have this, you know, many people working on these ideas of collective intelligence, what are the structures or the mechanisms whereby we can combine our intelligences to be more intelligence collectively than uh, individually. So I think we weren't superorganisms, or less so anyway, but we are becoming more. And it, it's the nature of what sort of superorganism organism we become that we are working on at the moment. Because, you know, cla- you know just one classic idea is if we have a, a superorganism, it has a uh, mental state. And, and, uh, and of course, we are already experiencing that we are schizophrenic as a as a human race. We are divided. And so do we want to be whole as we want to have the look at the mental health of the superorganism? 
And so this is something where we are shaping as we go the, what we become as a superorganism and whether or not we are a healthy superorganism or not. I think you're dead on with that last part. Uh, beehives don't operate where half the bees are plotting against the other half. That, that is very true. But I would suggest you set the bar too high that, um, that the superorganism exists when you observe uh, emergent, emergent capabilities that uh, none of the parts have. I actually think that's been present in humans for about, well, there was an essay written by, I would say five or 10,000 years. Uh, there was an essay written by a man named Leonard Reed a long time ago called I Pencil, uh, the letter I, comma, pencil, where he says no human can make a pencil. Uh, 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 nobody knows all the steps. Nobody can fell the tree and die that, and yet pencils get made. And I think Agora, uh, I think the superorganism makes them. I think the superorganism was born with the city. In the introduction, the unpublished introduction to your to your book, I mean, you you touch on that a lot about how humans first came together and exchanged information. So I, I would put the question back on you. If ants, as simple as they are, are a superorganism, why would a why would New York City not to be a superorganism. It is. And I think, as you say, the, you know, if we think about mechanisms or structures for collective intelligence, so classically the market is one because, you know, we exchange, we do things. But now that put a pin there because I don't agree with that. Because you're right that it, uh, you can't take a bee from a beehive and move it 50 miles away and it goes on and lives a full life. You cannot take an ant and move it five miles away. And I don't think you can drop a human on a desert island. And you certainly can't drop a human without 5,000 years of collective culture, knowledge, scientific things, and, and expect them to, to thrive. But go ahead. Yeah, no, it was just uh, I mean, the point. David Deutsch in the beginning of Infinity says that, you know, we, we have a hospitable planet, but he says, well, no, actually we don't. We'd die if we didn't learn how to make things and help each other and work together to be able to uh, survive in uh, what a mainly, actually not, not very friendly uh, environments. So the, so, but there, there still is a becoming. And so that's things where if we are a superorganism, we are evolving in the nature of what we are as a superorganism, just through the fact of into internet, social media, a uh, whole array of other things, which actually mean we are a very rapidly evolving uh, superorganism. Well, yes and no. I mean, you would agree um, a mouse is an organism, and you're an organism, right? So... You know, one one of the things before we started, and I pointed out to you that I didn't necessarily agree with you, is you drew a distinction between a human made up of cells and then a, a bee colony that's made up of bees. But don't, couldn't you make a compelling argument that a human being is a superorganism? Uh, we have all these cells, and none of them have a sense of humor, and yet you have a sense of humor. And... You're not a roommate with your cells. I think we can agree. You, they don't get half the body and you get the other half. You're formed by the pattern of them, right? Um, 
so wouldn't you say that a cockroach and you are both superorganisms or not? Yes. And I've got to say what, what that makes me think about is something I've been uh, thinking about recently, which is the, uh, the, the continuity of uh, perception of the identity, where all of our cells get replaced through the course of our lifetimes. You know, we are physically, our bodies are different than we were, yet we still have the illusion we are the same that we were when we were five, 10, 20, 30, whatever. We, we, and that's, that's, so that's, I think, an incredible phenomenon because these cells change the nature of who we are. We are constantly. We are ships of Theseus. Right. Yes. But we, we have this, you know, what we, could be described as an illusion of continuity. It is the same me. Well, no, it's, <laughs> in many ways, it's not the same me. And that's, I think there's actually an analogy at that level between the individual sort of continuity or of identity and the human continuity of identity, as in saying, at humanity's level, we feel we are still humans, and we are, of course, you know, we are the same species. But when we go ourselves into a superorganism, that we, we are, we, the nature of who we are collectively is, is so different. You know, this is a transformation in hu- hum- humanity. You know, we are becoming different. We are becoming uh, in, in so many ways. You know, we are transforming our bodies, you know, in various ways, becoming cyborgs and so on. But, but at a higher level, at the level of humanity as a whole, we are becoming very different, almost unrecognizable from who we were. I don't know that I would agree with that. I mean, Shakespeare is still very readable. When Iago and Lady Macbeth are still things, you can still read Thucydides. You can still read. We aren't actually any different. But 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 back to the to the core point, which is, I I think it goes like this. I think you have cells, which I think of as primary life. I call them primary life because they are unquestionably alive, but they are not made of living creatures. You everything about them. Um, they're, they're like animated chemical reactions. They are alive. You so aptly point out in your introduction that uh, we don't know how to define life. So what we do is just make lists of uh, lifelike attributes, and we, we structure them very carefully not to include things we don't want to include, like computer viruses. And that's so true. Uh, and I, I mean, I spend chapters on that. You capture it very elegantly in a few sentences. Um, so I think cells are primary life. The cells come together, and they form... Uh, multicellular organisms that have these emergent properties, they come together and they form superorganisms. I think those superorganisms come together and form them. There's no reason it doesn't go all the way up, right? Like there's nothing that's changing. What happens is you have the superorganism when the parts specialize to such a degree, they can no longer live on their own. And, And as a result of their interactions, they have new emergent properties. They have new emergent capabilities that weren't there before. And, and I think that line of being goes way up. And we are, and, and by the way, lifespans go way up. Your cells live a few days, uh, you live 100 years, and, and Agora lives thousands of years. Uh, I, I think there, and then you could say, well, do a bunch of Agoras come together and form something? And, and again, we're just talking about science and biology here. Yes. Yeah. Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. 
You'll find our stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense making, and decision making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the role of uh, artificial intelligence in either shaping or expanding or participating in this Agora. It will be less than yours, I'm sure. So I used to host, I wrote a philosophy book about uh, AI called The Fourth Age, and it's my best-selling book. It sold more copies in more languages than everything else I've ever written put together. And I'm not supposed to say it's a philosophy book about AI, because evidently that doesn't supercharge sales. That's it. Um, I used to have a podcast. I had 118 guests on it, and they were all like the AI people. What a wonderful time to catch that moment where everybody's still alive, and they're aware of the, of the gravity of what we're doing. I don't think there's been anything since the Manhattan Project where they knew they were doing something big. And I ask all 118 of those people, do you think general intelligence is, impo- is possible? And all but three said, yes, I do. Uh, I would be one of the, I would be the fourth. I don't believe that the, the general intelligence is possible. And I don't think you have to go spiritual to say that. I think what you have to say is that there is something emergent in us, strong, weak emergence, I don't know, that we cannot reproduce in a fab. So I love AI. I just wrote, co-wrote an, ar- an article called The Four Billion Year History of Chat GPT, where I talked about its intellectual significance is that it's finally consolidating all of the knowledge of humanity into one knowledge base. And that's huge. That's a collective memory of this planet. When we used to have 50 billion collective, you know, we have 50 billion or 100 billion web pages. Now we're going to have one. So I think it's huge. But I mean, don't ask that thing to drive your car or who you should marry. Or I have a low opinion of it in terms of, I have a high opinion of people, I guess is what I would say. I do not, yes. when people would say, yes, I believe we're going to have general intelligence. I would say, do you believe people are machines? And, and they would all say, oh, of course we're machines. What else would we be? And I do not think we're machines. Uh, I have an intuition of that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree with everything you say. The, the, so my framing for my work this year is humans plus AI and you know, how that flows into amplifying cognition, this idea of how does AI help us think better? And so this is both individual, and I think there's many ways in which our individual intelligences can be augmented. You know, the whole Doug Engelbart frame is, you know, this is all about intelligence augmentation. But what is more interesting is how does this enable collective intelligence? So what are the mechanisms? And so part of it simply is we, you know, having access to this large language models means we can access uh, any humans who's written anything in a distilled, you know, stochastic fashion. And that's already making, giving access to individuals to human, uh, you know, work in, on, at scale. But I think there's now a point where we can start to bring together and saying, well, how do we as groups think better facilitated by these tools? And that's where 
you know, again, I think, you know, this evolution of the superorganism, yes, we are, let's say we are superorganisms now, but we can become or evolve faster using these tools. It sounds like you're more of like a technium guy. Kevin Kelly's concept that you're smiling. So, I mean, you must be familiar, like Kevin Kelly's concept. So it's a noosphere, which you referenced in that introduction of yours, which is, 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 isn't as biological and scientific as, as I'm trying to be in my writing. It's a great awakening of this coming together. It's something. Kevin Kelly sees technology as like the central thing that. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm human centric. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely and completely. <laughs> and yet you don't think we were a superorganism before technology. I mean, you write about like the centrality of rapid communication and you were drawing all the analogies between the rate of our communication but how is how is ur you know during the time of gilgamesh how is that not the same thing it's cockroach to a human but it's the same thing there's still the agora there's still all these people getting together and they're exchanging ideas they're specializing and they're able to collectively do things like put a person on the moon or make bronze or whatever that no individual can do that is a creature I, I mean, in a way, I, I'm far more interested in the becoming than the where we've come from. So, whether to debating whether in Middle Ages we were superorganism or not is is of less interest to me. Yes, maybe, maybe not. And you know, you can make and you can have a very rich, interesting debates around it. I'm interested in now and the future. <laughs> And it is absolutely we are becoming, and it is this process of the evolution of the superorganism. So I've, back when I was a boy, I said, you know, I want to. I'm interested in human evolution. How are, and that's still the kind of the story of you know the career and what I've, you know, followed is how how do we understand human evolution and further, positive human evolution. So we are a supernatural organism and whether we were ages ago or not is less the fact that we are. And so now my focus is saying, in what way are we becoming a superorganism, organism and how do we shape that? Well, that's, that's my f most interesting area. I'll jump onto that. Let's, let's switch gears and talk solely about the future now, because I have a theory. Science does not answer why questions. Science loves how, how did that happen? Uh, when did that happen? What happened? But why? It changes the subject. It really doesn't like why. I think I have a scientific answer for why we are here. Why do humans form a superorganism? Why? And let me let me throw it at you, and you tell me what you say. Uh, of course, you know, and I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners do, about the Gaia hypothesis. James Lovelock's idea that the that all life on, you know, everything down to the bacteria all function as a single organism. He was never too specific about whether it was a living organism or functioned as one, but it doesn't really matter for, for our purposes. If Gaia exists, then the question is, well, what, what does it want? Well, it would presumably want what all living things want. It wants to survive and it wants to reproduce. Survive, but wait a minute, should it worry about dying? Oh, yeah, it should worry about dying. I mean, this planet's going to get hit by a big old asteroid. It's going to reset it. It will. That's a statistical certainty. I wrote an entire last book about why are 
people different than animals? And really the question is, why is there just one of us? Uh, you can argue about the relative de- levels of intelligence of dolphins or whatever, but come on, let's all be real. There's us and there's everything else. Why? Why just one? And I, I came to the conclusion that intelligence is really self-destructive and risky. Bacteria aren't intelligent. They do just fine. Um, Carl Sagan's answer to the Fermi uh, paradox was that when you get smart, you blow yourself up. So if you're Gaia, if you're a planet, with or without a consciousness, doesn't matter, and you fail to evolve an intelligent life force that can come together and do something like deflect an asteroid, uh, you get hit by an asteroid, you die. Of course, if you evolve 20 or 30 or 50, uh, they blow themselves up. If you evolve one, and there are never but a few of them, they never can do all that much. But there's this Goldilocks zone where you evolve one intelligent species. It's very risky. They may blow themselves up. Could be. But that's really your only hope. And to grow the population from 8,000 to 8 billion in 10,000 years, and they can do it. And so to me, that is the future. I think Agora exists. I mean, it sounds like cheesy science fiction. I think Agora exists to deflect that asteroid. So, well, my yes, my question is, what do we need to be doing now to make that <laughs> the, 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 the direction positive from here? <laughs> Aha! Thank you. Okay. I would like to answer that question. I would like to answer that question. Um, I'm going to just tell two stories, and then I'll be quiet. Yeah. The first one is, do you know the story of that 1972 airplane that crashed in the Andes with those rugby players on it? I, I read an account that, you know, there they are, ragtag, hopeless. And, and one of them, Nando, was listening to this radio, and he heard over the radio that they that the search for them had been given up. They were presumed dead. And he went back and he told everybody, he said, I have some great news. Uh, they called off the search. We were given up for dead. And, and everybody's like, why in the world is that great news? And he said, because, because it means we're going to get out of this on our own. Now, when I read that, I wondered if he really said that and if he really meant it. And we live in such an amazing age. Five minutes after I asked that question, I had his email address. I emailed him and the next morning. I had his answer. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I, I said that. That's exactly what I said. And um, it was the best thing I could say to such bad news. Okay, hold that thought. In 1947, uh, a a guy in San Francisco jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and committed suicide. And as it happened, at Stanford, there was a a psychologist who researched suicide. He was like, I'll go check that out. So he goes up to San Francisco and he goes to that guy's apartment. And he was unmarried. He had no family, nothing wrong with his life. But he had left a suicide note addressed to no one. Didn't know who was going to find it. And the note said... I'm going to walk to the bridge now. If one person smiles at me along the way, I will not jump. And and I think that's the answer. Aldous Huxley, at the end of his life, said, after 45 years, I'm ashamed to say that my sole conclusion is we should all try to be a little nicer to each other. And I don't think he should have been ashamed to say that. Superorganisms, 
We Agora can do anything. Agora can deflect an asteroid. It can make a smartphone. It can put a person on the moon. It can make a pencil, but only to the extent people work together. And what that means is it isn't that there are two or three or 12 or 100 of the big, the, the power people whose names we all know, and they do the heavy lifting, and the rest of us just kind of get dragged along. No, it is a billion. It's every bee going out and doing their little thing to the hive that makes the hive function. If you think of a clock, it isn't the biggest gear in the clock that makes the clock work. It's all the gears together that make it work. So to close all that up, to go back to Nando, where he said, we get to get out of this on our own, he intimated he didn't really mean it, but the thing is, is he was right. He was right because you see, once they knew they had given up the search, those rugby players stopped looking to the sky for their answer. And then they only had one other place to look, which was inside. No hand of God reached down and plucked them up and saved them. Those rugby players saved themselves. And so that's it. I, that to me is the message is uh, there is no help coming for us. And, but that's okay. Because you see, 10,000 years ago, there were just a few hundred mating pairs of humans left, and yet we survived. And how did we survive? Through a dog-eat-dog attitude of every person for themselves? No. We, we find skeletons of people who had to be cared for in their old age. We survived because we stuck together and we were kind to each other. And, and so I think the world has changed by you smiling at that person who's walking to the bridge uh, and I, I would put no bigger burden on anyone than that. Uh, the same one actually put on them, which is try to be a little kinder. That is awesome. I think that's, did you tell those stories in the book? Um, yes. Uh, Nando and the suicide one, but not Huxley. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's you know, sometimes these, it's the stories that bring the the messages to life. And, you know, you can, we can be very uh, complicated and uh, irritated and sort of, you know, about all these things. But I, I think in a way you're right, absolutely right. It just comes back to the... You seem genuinely moved. I am. I am as well. Every time I tell that story about that suicide person, I mean, it, it, I, I break up inside because it, it, it takes so little. And the burden on, on, every, on any individual is not how can I change the world. The burden is just how can I be a little better today than I was yesterday. And believe it or not, that's all it takes to build utopia. That is awesome. And I think that that's a great point to sort of round out this conversation but there'll be more but so where, where can people find the book find your work i'm the easiest guy in the world to find my name is byron reese go to byronreese.com my email address is byronreese at gmail like i'm all over the place the book is called we are agora and um it's about our our humans a super organism fabulous to reconnect after so many years uh, byron uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful work, and I really can't wait to read the book. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. 
If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.